We are continuing on in Genesis chapter 17. And we took two weeks in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. So now we're going to press on a little bit faster in Genesis chapter 17. But um, I want you to remember the context here. So the last time God spoke to, to Abram was in Genesis chapter 15. That was 23 years ago. This man went 23 years without hearing a word from God. He moved into the land. In the first year, God appeared to him four times. In the first year. And then God didn't appear to him for 23 years, and now he's 99 years old. Think about that. The man is now 99. He's gone 23 years without hearing from God. And he persisted. He persisted. And something happens when you get older, as, as, as you begin to, to age. You start looking at life and the things of life differently. You start, you start thinking about it differently. I'll tell you, for, for myself, I think about my projects, my, my research projects. Can I begin another project? Will I be, you, you know, it takes at least a decade to carry out a project to partial completion. And so you start looking at things differently. And here this man is now 99 years old. He has a son who's now 13 named Ishmael. He thinks that all the promises regarding, Ish, regarding his seed are in reference to Ishmael because he's not heard anything from God for 23 years. Now God speaks to him. So we'll pick it up in verse 1 of, of, of uh, Genesis chapter 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. So we, we spent two weeks in that one verse. Now let's go into verse 2. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. <clears throat> so he says in verse 2, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will. Remember the I will of God. When God says I will, it has to happen. Everything in the world, everything in heaven on earth will change to make that happen. And what I want to see in this portion is look at how God says over and over again, I will, I will, I will. When God says that, it has to happen. God says, I will establish my covenant with you between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. The two promises that I gave you 23 years ago, that I confirmed, we confirmed in that, in that sacrifice of blood 23 years ago, I haven't forgotten it. 23 years you waited. I haven't forgotten it. I will do it. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Not just I will multiply. I will multiply you exceedingly. This has got to be like exponential type. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. Abram fell on his face. The guy's 99 years old. He hasn't heard from God for 23 years. And all of a sudden God appears to him and starts talking to him and says, I haven't forgotten the promise. And the man collapses. These are amazing words to him. He hasn't given up. And God comes and he renews this. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying. Now when we look at this chapter, 
95% of the words here is God talking. Abram says one line and God corrects him. This is all God talking. I mean, so much of our prayer time is, I'm doing the talking. And God can't even speak a word. This guy, he just falls on his face and God talked with him. It says God talked with him. As if they are friends. And that's what the Bible calls Abraham. The friend of God. He, it says he talked with him. Not that he told him. No, he talked with him. Look at the relationship here. Look at the kindness of the relationship. What we have in Christ is so much like this. What we have in Christ is this kindness of relationship. This kindness that the, the throne rooms are open because of the blood of Christ. This fellowship with God. This is Abram had this sort of thing. It says, God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. So God says, As for me, as for me, you think, okay, now God's going to talk about himself. As for me, my covenant is with you. That's all he has to say about himself. God talk about himself all day. But he doesn't talk about himself. He just says, as for me, my covenant is with you. He's just driving it home to him again. These are beautiful words to, to Abram. 23 years since he's heard these words. My covenant is with you. The covenant that we sealed in blood, I haven't forgotten it. It is with you. My covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. You will be. There again is you will. God's will. When he says you will, it has to happen. You will be the father of a multitude. Now not just a multitude, but a multitude of nations. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And what, is, what, what does, does Abram become the father of? He becomes the father of Judah. He becomes the father of Israel. And he becomes the father of Edom through Isaac. And he becomes the father of the Arabs through Ishmael. And so Abram is the father of the Arabs. And he says that, that this, is going to, this is going to result in, in this chapter. It tells us 12 Arab princes are going to arise from this. He says, you're going to be father of all of them. I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. So in other words, you're not going to be called exalted father anymore. You're going to be called father of a multitude. So God changes his names. This is among a small group of people in the Bible that God comes and specifically changes their name. God did this with Abram. He changed his name now to Abraham. He says, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. He says, I will. Again, he stresses the I will. The I will of God. When God says, I will, it has to happen. It's like all of us says, okay. Tell us when we were ready. It has to happen. And he said twice in that portion, in the first part of, 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 uh, of verse, of, of verse four, it says, it says, you will. And then in the last part of verse five, he says again, I will. Everything is about God doing this. God is going to do this. He's saying, Abraham, you're not, Abraham, you're not going to have to do this. I'm going to do it. Isn't this amazing concept that God says, I'm going to do it. I will do it. He never says, Abram, Abraham, you have to do this. You have to make this happen. Just work real hard, it'll happen. No, he says, I'm going to take care of it. It's done. I've already said the I will. It's done. It's going to happen. 
Verse 6, again, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So again, he says in verse 6, he says, I will make you, again, the I will, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. You're going to be super fruitful. Now he's looking at this one son, and again, he thinks that through this boy, Ishmael, all of this is going to happen. Ishmael's 13 at this time. I will make, and he says, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Again, he says, it's not just... You know, a bunch of people, I'm going to make nations of you. They're going to be the founder of nations and the kings that sit on that throne are going to come forth from your seed. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants. So he's already in chapter 15, he talked about the covenant. He sealed the covenant in blood and he says, I'm going to establish it now. I'm going to give you a token of that covenant, which you're going to get as a sign upon your body. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. That is huge. You don't feel how huge this is because most of you are not parents yet. But when you have children, all of a sudden, your whole thought switches from yourself to your children. It's like, I want what's best for them. I want to do what's best for my children. And there's this constant longing in the in the heart of one who loves God, that their children would love God. This constant longing among parents that, will my child love God? Will my child honor God? Will my child bring glory to God? Abram must be thinking this too. Is this kid going to do this? And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and your seed. And your seed. I'm going to establish my covenant with your seed. And this word descendants is a bad translation because it says, if it says in the margin, it's seed. It's not plural seeds, it's seed. I'm going to establish my covenant through a seed. Turns out, he's going to learn in a little bit, it's going to be Isaac and not Ishmael. I'm going to establish this covenant. This is huge to Abraham now. This is a guarantee that God's going to take care of it. And it's not like... His children can somehow fall out of favor and lose this blessing. No, this will come upon your seed. This will come upon the seed of Isaac. This will come upon the Jewish nation. This will come. It has to. Now, individuals can rebel from this and fall out of grace of the community. But God has established this covenant. It can't change. This is the covenant that God has established. It can't change. This is like, wow, what a guarantee. What a guarantee. Not just for me, but for my descendant. This is going to happen. The covenant is not just with you, but it's with your seed after you. Throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendant, your descendants after you, to your seed after you. I'm going to do this. This is why it says in Deuteronomy, he says, if you want to upset this covenant that I've made with my people Israel, I'll tell you how you can do it. All right? Now, there's a lot of enemies of Israel. 
don't tell them this verse, because God tells them in Deuteronomy what you have to do to overcome Israel. He says, first what you have to do is you have to wipe out the sun and the moon and the stars. All right, you do that, and then you will wipe out my people. How's that for a covenant? How's that for establishing something? So if you are on the wrong side, if there's something that you don't want, some blessing that you don't want for the nation of Israel, you're on the wrong side. I'll tell you, if you want to be my friend, you be nice to my children. You should be nice to my children. I like you all the time if you be nice to my children. If people say bad stuff about my children, it's just like, I don't like that person. I don't voice it, but I just don't like them. If you say something bad about my children, it's the same with God. It's the same with God. He says, because I've established a covenant with them. Not because of them, but because of Abraham. Because of his love for Abraham. It's nothing that they did. It's what Abraham did. For 23 years he persisted. Then in verse 8, And I will give to your seed after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So now, here's the seed that I, here's the, the proclamation that I will be with you. The covenant is with you and with your descendants, with your seed. And then he says, I'm also going to establish the land. The land is theirs. The land of Canaan. Well, you know, he's talked about this before in, in, uh, in chapter, chapter 12, verse 7. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram. And said, to your, to your seed, I will give this land. That was a promise that he said, I will give this land to your seed. It was never to Abram. It was never to Abram at that point. It was to your, to your seed. I'm going to give this land. And then again, he mentioned it in, in chapter 13, verse 14. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendant and to your seed after you. There came the promise not just to his descendant, but also to you, Abram. All the land you see around you, you walk back and forth up and down this land of Canaan, that's yours. That's yours. I give it to you and to your seed after you. And then it was in chapter 15, after he had sealed the covenant, he made a proclamation for land territory that's going to come in the last days. The Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel has never had this much land in all their history. And this will only come after the Messiah comes. But he says, here's going to be your borders that I'm going to define. This is in chapter 15, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So he established them, he says, from the river of Egypt. That's not the Nile. The Nile flows from south to north, and as it, as, it, as it gets near the end, it spreads out into several, several, several uh, uh, tributaries, several rivers, and the easternmost one, is that's going to be the border right there, from, from the, that delta. That's going to be the border, and it's going to go all the way to the Euphrates. The Euphrates is, is uh, uh, where Iraq is. All that's going to be yours. You're not going to get it now. That's what it's ultimately going to be. Right now, it's just this land of Canaan, where you're going. 
And so he establishes that. So once again, he gives them the covenant that he will always be with them, and he gives them the covenant of the land. But what's interesting about this, he gave that land to Abraham. And guess what? Abraham didn't own a single square nanometer of that territory at this time. Nothing. Even he bought from the Amalekites. He brought, bought from, from uh, uh, Mamre, the Amalekites. Remember, he was dwelling by the oaks of Mamre. The oaks belonged to this Amalekite Mamre. He had made a covenant uh, of peace with, with, with uh, uh, Mamre and his two other brothers. And he ended up saying, I need to buy some land when, when ultimately Sarah, his wife, dies to bury her. They said, you can have whatever property you want. We just give it to you. He says, no, I will buy it. I will buy it. You're like, Abraham, it's yours. Well, Abraham didn't say, well, my God said this land is mine. All you Amalekites move out. He didn't do that. He bought it from them. They were going to give it to him. He says, no, I will buy that territory. It was just a small little plot at Hebron. You can go to Hebron today and you can see the grave of Sarah. And, he, and Abraham is there. And several of the patriarchs and their wives. And you can see that. To this day, it's that, that piece of that plot of land which Abraham bought is still there. At that time, when this covenant is made, he owned nothing. So just because God promises you something doesn't mean it's automatically yours right now. No. This is for the future. Abraham's a patient man. But in verse 8, you see, he says, I will give to you and to your seed. It's both of you, and I'm going to give it. And then he says in verse 9, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So now he says, I'm going to give you something to do, Abraham. He says to Abraham, you shall keep my covenant. And what I want you to do to begin with is I want you, every male among you, to be circumcised. What's interesting here is he says every male among you to be circumcised. Every male. Female circumcision was never, never in the Bible. Never. That's from other cultures. And it's quite inhumane. He says, I want every male among you to be circumcised. And then he says, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. This is going to be the sign of the covenant. This is going to come through your seed, and this is the sign right there in your foreskin. You are to be circumcised, every male among you. Now, circumcision was not unusual, even in that day. It wasn't unusual, but what was unusual about this is how it had to be done. It says, it says in, in, in verse 12, And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. And every servant who is born in the house or is bought with the money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in, in your in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. And thus my covenant, and thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. 
he has broken my covenant. So God says, you are to, to circumcise everyone in your house on, their, on the eighth day. On the eighth day. So that was the unusual thing. On the eighth day, they were to be circumcised. But if they're already in your house, circumcise them now, whatever the age they are. If you acquire them, they, the, the males come into your household, you circumcise them. Why? Because even the servants are going to become part of the community. He welcomes them into the part of the community. This is part of the community. They, they're not servants like, like outside. You own them, they become part of your family. He says you circumcise them as well. And then he says, but in verse 14, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He doesn't say he shall be cut off from me. He shall be cut off from his people. He will lose the blessing of the community. And the community in Israel is deeply important. You go to Israel today, and Friday afternoon, everybody is out and, and uh, 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 leaves their work and their home, and you can see just families having their Shabbat together. Families coming together. Very much the community. He says, if you don't get circumcised, you're going to lose the community. He says, as far as my grace upon the people, that won't be lost. Why? Because I've already established it. It's not going to be lost. That one's on me. You're not going to lose the blessing. It's going to come through your seed. That's already been established. You're going to be cut off from your people. You're going to lose that sort of relationship. So you see that Jesus says, Jesus says in, in, in John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you are in Christ, you cannot lose it. You say, well, what happens in the book of Hebrews? We went through the book of Hebrews. That was something very different. He was speaking to the, the, the Hebrew Jews in that day who lived in Judea outside of Jerusalem. And he was saying, you are going to die. You're going to lose your life if you go back under Judaism because you're going to end up in Jerusalem in the 70 AD judgment. That's what that was about. You say, what about the, the, the uh, um, unpardonable sin? That is not something that anybody here can commit. And we've covered that in this class as well. The unpardonable sin was the denial of Jesus' messiahship on the grounds of his demon possession. That's what brought it in. That's why Jesus kept saying over and over again, he says, upon this generation, this generation, that's not this generation today, 2019, he said it to a particular generation in the first century. That hit that generation, and they were destroyed in the 70 AD judgment. That's done. You cannot fall away. But what you can fall away from is the grace and the blessing of the community in your life. You stray away from the Lord. You want to know how to stray away from the Lord? I'll tell you right now. It's very easy. Sin. Practice sin and you will move away from the Lord. You say, God will move away from me? No, he won't move at all. He'll be right there. You will move away from him. You practice sin, you will move away from him. You practice more sin, you move further away from him. Then you open yourself up to the enemy and all sorts of his attack. And you leave the community of the body of Christ. The very same thing he's saying here you don't get circumcised, you're going to exclude yourself from the community and what that means. You're going to cut yourself off from your people. It's interesting, he says, 
he particularly used this word, and that person shall be cut off from his people. This word cutting, this cutting that's supposed to happen in circumcision, either you be circumcised or you're going to be cut in circumcision or you're going to be cut off from your people. There's a part, a role that we play in this to maintain that fellowship of closeness. There's a part in this that we maintain that fellowship of closeness through this obedience. Then in verse 15, Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall no longer call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So he changes her, her name. It goes from, from uh, a princess to the princess. The princess to the, a, a princess. <clears throat> it's a very subtle change here. This is the only woman in the Bible to ever have their name changed. A few men have their name changed by God. This is the only woman. She was really special. She is one of the few women that's mentioned in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 on, on the people of faith, the men and women of faith. There are several women mentioned, but she's one of them. It says, I will, and, and then, then it says, you're going to change her, we're changing her name to Sarah. Today, we're changing it right now. Verse 16, I will, again, there's the I will. Gonna, it's going to have to happen. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Wow! I mean, everything that's been talked about so far has been to Abram, first to his descendants and to Abram. Never included Sarai. That's why he ended up going with Hagar. How did he know it was going to be Sarah? Now, it makes it clear. It's going to be through Sarah. We're going to call her Sarah. It's going to be through her. And he just pours out blessing on her. He says, I will. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. Again, so back to back. I'm going to bless her. I'm going to bless her. It's like, all right, man. I mean, the, the, the earth is just standing back. This lady is blessed now. Double. Just back to back, I will bless her. And she shall be, it says, a mother of nations. Actually, a mother of are inserted words. It's, just, it's, it's really, she shall be nations. She shall be nations. Remember, from her is going to come Isaac. Isaac is going to come Judah, Israel, and Edom. Nations are going to rise up from this woman. And kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. But God said, No, but Abram, your wife, will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants, for his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. So Abram hears this. He's 99 years old. Sarah's 89 years old. And he hears this, and it says he fell on his face. So he had fallen on his face back back in verse 3, 
So during this, he must have gotten up, and now he falls down again. Abram fell on his face, and he laughed. He laughed. Why did you wait all this time? Why did you wait so long? God does this in our lives sometimes. Sometimes he just waits. There's nothing left in me. There's nothing left in her. Why did you wait so long? Well, because you weren't ready. You weren't ready. Remember this story from Watchman Nee, this great Chinese believer. He talks about how a group of them were, were out swimming one day in this river. And one of, the, one of the guys had drifted out too far and was getting towed under by this river. And they turned to the strongest swimmer among them, because none of them could swim very well, except this one guy. And they said, and Watchman Nee turned to him and said, Get him! Save him! He's drowning! And the guy didn't move. Get him, save him. And nobody else would have the strength to get him. And the guy wouldn't move. And then when the guy finally went under, the guy just dove in the water and with a few quick strokes was there and pulled the guy out. And watch when he confronted him. He says, why did you do that to him? He said, because he was so strong, he would have pulled me under with him. I had to, had to wait till he had no more strength. God does that in our lives. There are times where we are just totally broken. Same thing happened to Moses. Moses said, at 40, I'm ready to go. I'll take out these Egyptians. God waited till he was 80. He says, now you're ready. God waits till this man's 99. He says, now you're ready. Now you're ready. And now she's ready. Because it, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, in the epistle to the Hebrews, that they were as good as dead. There was nothing left in them. They were as good as dead. And so he laughs. You know, I don't know exactly if it was busting up laughing. I don't know, knee slapping laughing. If he, I, I have a son. You get him laughing, he cannot stand up. He just falls down. I mean, just, he just loses. He gets, loses so much oxygen. He just collapses. Have you ever seen my son Ben do that? Anybody? He just, right? He just, he just starts laughing so much he collapses. I don't know if it was that kind of laughter or if it was like thinking about how he's going to do this with Sarah. I mean, it's... How do you work this thing out? <laughs> you know? There's nothing left on the guy. And, and uh, he, he laughs. And God said, it said he laughed and he said in his heart, he didn't say it verbally, he said in his heart, will a child be born a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? So he knows that this is a year off. And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is the only thing he says in this whole passage, the only thing. God's doing all the talking. He just says one line. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God said, no. I mean, he just said one word. And he just scolds him. No. I bet he wished he had kept his mouth shut. No. God says, no. But Sarah. And so what's interesting here is in verse 17, Abraham refers to his wife as Sarah. Immediate obedience. God had changed her name. He immediately started calling her Sarah. In verse 17, in verse 16, he changed, in, in verse 15, he changed her name. In verse 17, he starts calling her by her new name. But God said in verse 19, no, but Sarah, your wife, in case he was thinking, maybe there's going to be some young Sarah come along. He says, no, Sarah, your wife. He's making it very clear. I mean, this, this one is the one. Sarah, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. 
And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. You're going to call his name Isaac, which means he laughs. It is not laughter. It's not his name is laughter. It is he laughs. Can you imagine them bringing Isaac to school and introducing him to... His name is he laughs. And everybody busts up laughing. I, I don't know if you've ever had a... You, you, you haven't had a child yet that you've given them some name that means a lot to you. And they're like, why did you name me this? Why can't I just have a normal name? Why'd you do this to me? What do you think Isaac went through with his father? Why, why'd you have to laugh? Now I've got to be called he laughs. The rest of my life, I've got to be called he laughs. God said, every time, every time you call this boy, you're going to remember how you laughed. He laughs. I mean, God, God's got, you know, God does things. We do things and it has certain ramifications in our lives. And he says, my covenant is with him. It is an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Then he says in verse 20, as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him too. It's, it's sort of like when you have a child, it's like this. God can do no wrong. God does no wrong. But it's, it's like when you have a child and they say something fairly innocent. and You're like, no, you're not going to do that. And then a second later, you feel bad. What, what, what can I get you? you know? and, and so God says, no. And then he says, all right, I, I'll take care of Ishmael too. You know, so he just kind of comforts him. He just comes back at him. He says, okay, I'll, I'll take care of Ishmael. I, don't, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings too bad. I'll, I'll bless him. How, how's this? I'll make him um, fruitful. I'll multiply him. And I'll make him the father of 12 princes. You know, he's given back to his kid. He just wants to be nice. Sometimes you overreact. I'm not saying God overreacts. Sometimes we overreact. And then you, you try to compensate. It's like that. He's just compensating. He says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear. And at this season next year, and he's very specific, at this season next year, you don't have to wait another 23 years. At this season next year. So for those of you who think that they couldn't count years back then because their ages were kind of large, no, he knew exactly what that meant. Next year. If you can count one, you can count the two. They didn't mix up their ages. They knew what a year was. And, and uh, um, so you see that this specific covenant, God has made a covenant with us. God makes a covenant with us, and that covenant that he makes with us stands. That covenant is true. You cannot lose that. My sheep, hear my voice. And, 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 uh, and, and he's, even in this, this classic verse, John chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, so whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. There's again the shall. Shall not perish but have everlasting life. God guarantees it. Shall not perish. Oh, you did something wrong. Okay, well, now God's shall doesn't count for you anymore. No, it counts doesn't matter what you do. Now, you could cut yourself off from among your people. You could make your life miserable. And I see it with Christians all the time. They haven't lost their salvation. But they've made their lives miserable and they lose the eternal reward. What we do here on earth has ramifications of our lives here on earth. And it has ramifications of eternal reward. You stray from the Lord Jesus after accepting Him. You ruin your life here on earth. And you lose eternal reward. But you do not lose your salvation. It is sure. And that's why today I urge you, 
I urge you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has opened this up. He's opened up the throne room. He has died for our sins. He has given himself for us. Don't delay on this any longer. Don't delay. Come to him. Come to him. Today, today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Today, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Do not delay in this. Don't wait on this. You have to come and talk to me. You have to come to my house and have lunch today. And I will share this gospel with you. And the Lord will open up your heart. How do I know? Because if you take the step to come to my home with the intent of speaking to me, that means you are among the elect. Your heart is already there. If you weren't among the elect, you wouldn't be interested. I will share the gospel with you. You will come into the kingdom today. That will happen. Let it come upon you. Jesus has given his life to you, life for you. Come into his kingdom today. Come into his kingdom. Learn what it means. And then come into the body of Christ and learn what the body of Christ, fellowship means. I've been so blessed with the body of Christ. I know a lot of times students are like, well, you know, I don't really have to join the church. You know, I just go here and there. I just kind of, you know, roll with the punches, you know. Well, no, I want to be established. I want to be in a place where when my wife is ill, there's a bunch of other families around that are going to care for us and take care of us. Or else we're all going to be eating cereal. My wife is ill. Big problems. I want so much for, for, to be part of the body of Christ. I know what the body of Christ has done for my children. I have zero musical talent. Zero. This is why I don't go to all your recitals. I mean, they're all the same to me. You know, are they different? It sounds like you're all playing the same thing. I don't know music. But my kids love music. Where did they learn this? They learned it in Awanas. They learned it in the church. They learned so much from the body of Christ. They learned how to have friends. I didn't have friends growing up. We didn't have these sort of communities like, 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 like they have in these churches that were just so strong. The church, the body of Christ has so blessed my life. That's why, that's why I give my tithe to the church. It's not like, oh, I've got to give it. I, I feel like I'm robbing them for all that they've done for me and for my family not to participate in this, not to help with this, not to help with this establishment for all that they've blessed my life. I want to be part of the community. Come in and be part of the community of the body of Christ. Learn what it is. Don't cut yourself off from the blessing of being with His people. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Your name, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for those here who do not know You. I pray that this very day they would come in to fellowship with Jesus Christ, that they would take Jesus into their hearts by accepting him and his resurrection from the dead, that they would pray this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe Jesus is the Son of God and he's risen from the dead. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray here for the believers this day that they would learn from Abraham to endure even in the midst of when they think God is not speaking to them. That they would continue to hold fast to his word. That they would continue to trust you. That you can do great things. Father, have mercy on these young people, I pray. Your blessing be upon their lives. Father, seal them in you. Father, I pray that they learn to be a part of the body of Christ. That they would not cut themselves off 
from the community of the body of Christ. Father, that they'd learn to love that community. Your blessing and your grace be upon them. Lord, for your glory. Lord Jesus, all for your glory. Blessed be your name. Amen.